You're listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Good morning. Wow, it's good to see you guys. You all keep sneaking in right the last minute. I sit down and a couple songs later I get up here and look out and it's so good to see so good to see your faces. Uh, before service, we were talking about a mutual friend that many of us uh, in the band uh, this weekend have known over the years so when we've worshiped at another place or been together. And, and this friend was one of those guys that would just really connect with the songs that we were singing. And, and I don't know about you, but some of these songs that we've been singing lately, I can really connect with the words. To those songs. And this We Resurrender song, we talked about our friend and how during songs like that, sometimes right in the middle of a room filled with thousands of people, he would just lay out on the floor. And those sitting close to him could hear him cry out, God, I, you know, I, I'm sorry. I, I need you. I, I surrender to you again. And, and you know, honestly, I, I wish, I wish I could be that untethered at times, right? to do that, to, to be able to just be that transparent uh, before God, even when there are people around. Well, that's what we're looking at in this series, frankly, is that many times we live our lives in a way that complicates our lives. And that's certainly a complication when we allow others around us to impede our sincere worship to our King. And we're looking this weekend at how lining up with God, just like this prayer that we just sang, God, kick over the tables, right? Clean out your temple. This is his temple if you're an immersed believer. And how realigning with him and his precepts do what? They simplify our lives. They untether us. So I want you to grab your Bible this morning, and I want you to turn to the Gospel of Mark. Mark, the fifth chapter. Now, those of you that are new to using a Bible and not just calling it up on your phone, which I encourage you to use, you use one of these Bibles and mark it up and make it yours. But Mark is the second gospel. So when you look at the two Testaments, the old and the new, the front and the back, when you go towards the back, you're going to find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in, in Mark chapter 5, we see, we see an encounter that Jesus has with a man, a man that seems completely out of his mind, crazy, just like he's lost it all. And the reality is, is that he is, he was, and he had lost it all. Now, as you're finding your place there, I want you to also join me as we continue to celebrate life changes. Wednesday night, we were up at Country Lake, and Country Lake was the perfect place for three individuals to just come and surrender their life to Jesus Christ. And it's so cool to see young people coming to have Jesus in their life, his temple made inside of them, all of these formative years that they have. And so first we want to celebrate young Sophie uh, uh, Twig, and uh, we're so excited for her and her family. After her came Matthew Thomas. And then after Matthew was young Elijah Wiglib, the third Wiglib boy that surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. So let's celebrate with them and their families. And this morning, whether you're online or you're new in the room uh, with us this weekend, 
when you feel that tug, when you recognize that it's Jesus Christ that you have been missing in your life, I hope that you will not delay, but you'll surrender your life to him. Well, in Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, we have these details of this encounter that Jesus has and his disciples have with this man that's out of his, his mind. Mark begins in verse 1. He says, Jesus and his disciples, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Now, it seems like Jesus is always going across the lake, right? He, he's always willing to go the distance, and he always knows who's on the other side of the lake. He's intentional about this. Jesus, they went across the other side. Like When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Now, don't get hung up on the evil spirit. What I want you to do is I want you to realize that his life was messed up. His life was consumed. It was complicated by things, by choices that he had allowed to enter his life. When he got out of the boat, man with all of these complications came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart. He broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. And here's the part that breaks my heart. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and he would cut himself with stones. Now I realize that this description of this man may seem foreign to some of us in this room. In fact, for years, I lived such a sheltered life that to read this account, to read of a man First of all, that had been taken over by these choices in his life. A man that was now living literally in the cemetery. A man who had stopped taking a bath a long time ago. A man who was in such mental distress that he would cut himself so that the pain of the cut would relieve him for just a moment of the mental pain and anguish that he was in. I couldn't fathom that type of pain. And, and maybe this weekend you can't until you sit back for a minute and you realize that maybe this is a little bit more familiar to you or to a family member than you want to admit at first. I remember the first time that I was called to the home of a friend whose son had overdosed on crack cocaine. Now, this was 28, almost 30 years ago. It was before overdosing was, was uh, you know, the thing. It was before Narcan, right? As long as you got Narcan, you'd come back and get another chance. Long before that. And I remember this man. I knew him well. He was well-established in our church. And I remember the phone call. I happened to be at church that day. And he called and he said, come to my house my son is dead. His teenage son. We, me and the senior pastor, we went to the house. And I've never heard the, the, a more eerie cry. I unfortunately have seen a number of times after that the look, the look in the eye of someone who has lost all hope. 
maybe you haven't felt that way because of an overdose, but because of a situation that you've allowed to consume your life. A few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, we had a group of students go out over spring break, remember? And they went to three different places in the state to serve. And one of those places was exit zero. That day, my daughter and some of your teens, they had the opportunity to go out and to meet homeless individuals, people who live in tents and cardboard boxes, who eat out of trash containers or whatever someone would drop by. Maybe you've been there yourself, out on a date. You just happened to turn on the wrong street in downtown Louisville, and, and there you are. Maybe you've stopped and offered them some food. Maybe you've stopped and offered a prayer with them. But do you ever wonder how a person falls to the level of being without a home, to, to be without a car, to be without a job, do you ever wonder how a person falls to, to such a level that they're without family, without a church, without a peace of mind, even respect for themselves? And as heart-wrenching as this is, there are many, there are many more who look perfectly fine on the outside, who live a normal life, who are surrounded by individuals, yet inside they are isolated and alone. Whether it's chained by depression, whether it's self-loathing, whether it's labels placed on them by themselves and others through the lies of the LGBTQ movement, right now, right now people are gathered around the nation to celebrate pride when the reality is for many of these people one out of three teens who are confused about their sexual identity, adults are three to four times more likely to take their life. There's no pride in that. There's great loss and there's great sadness in this confusion that has come over as we've allowed Thoughts and, and labels that others have placed on us or labels that we've placed on ourselves. How does it happen? How does a person find themselves like this man of the tombs with their life so complicated? Well, for some, for some it began with just one drink to relax after a busy day at work, only to discover that you can't tolerate one drink. I'm not calling for you to be teetotalers, and neither is the Bible, but, but let's be real for a minute. We start with one, and then we have two, and then before we know it, we can't stop ourselves, whether it's that, whether it's food. We think, oh, marijuana's legal in so many states. Friends, what, what are you going to decide when it becomes legal in Indiana? Because it's just a matter of time. Just one smoke will help relax me. Take the edge off. What are you going to do when that doesn't take the edge off anymore? When you find yourself using heroin or some other street drug that, that's more readily available than anything else today, and you find yourself unable to stop heading down this path, spiraling out of control, that maybe it begins or began when you were a teen and you ran off because you were in love 
or you ran off because things were just so complicated in your life. The death of someone we love or, or the death of the life we dreamed of living. And so we, we stay in bed one day and then it becomes a month and, and then it becomes months. And we wake up to find our life spiraling out of control. We're not told how these demons were invited into this man's life. But we do know that they had taken this man someplace he never dreamed of being. And it began with one choice, just as the demons in our lives do. And now he's living on a hillside with tombs carved in it, where this man now slept, ate, and was at times chained. He was not only living among the dead, but I submit to you, he was dying a day at a time. One moment, emotionally and spiritually, until these demons had taken control. Now Mark first describes this man as possessed by a demon, but when the demon speaks for himself, we find out that it wasn't just one, but there were many, an entire legion. Two to three thousand is what a legion consists of. Look at verse six. When this man saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of Jesus. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. No less than five times in the New Testament alone, we are commanded, we're commanded by God to be sober-minded sober-minded. Peter wrote to us in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, I don't think this man woke up one day and said, you know what? I think I'm going to leave my wife that loves me. I think I'm going to leave my children who need me, and I'm going to go live at the cemetery. I don't think he chose that one day. I don't think he thought one day, you know what, I'm tired of eating with my family, a well-balanced meal. I think I'm going to go live in the cemetery and I'm going to eat the cockroaches and the ground worms that crawl out of the tombs. I don't think he woke up one day and said, I'm going to stop bathing, I'm going to stop hygiene, I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to live crazy and when people come by, I'm going to show them just how crazy I am. Yet at some point, he headed down a path that clouded his mind, and he opened the door, and all of these complications were right there ready to come in. You see, being sober-minded, being sober-minded, when Jesus commands us, be sober-minded, it's to not allow ourselves to be captivated by any type of influence, any type of influence that would lead us away from sound judgment. Whether that's a drink, whether it's a drug, whether it's a thought, whether it's an impulse. Well, I have felt this way since I was a child. I have these desires. Listen, we've all got desires, and that doesn't mean that it's natural, and it doesn't mean that it's appropriate for your life. We're to submit those things to Christ. 
The word sober-minded is often interchanged in Scripture with words like keep your head in all situations. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Exercise self-control. So why the command? What's wrong with numbing the pain? What's wrong with giving in desires, taking a break from responsibility? Why must we be sober-minded? Because sober-mindedness simplifies our life. The opposite complicates it. Just look at the man's life. How many of you as a child remember walking down a hill? And you're headed down a steep hill, and all of a sudden, it was funny. I was talking to somebody this yesterday. Oh, Jason Young. Jason's got this steep bank in his backyard. It's really steep. And he says, I'm so tired of going down that on my riding mower. Anybody ever gone down a hill on a riding mower, right? I mean, it, that thing's going so fast, it, it's out of control. He, he says, the, the, the five feet closest to the pool, I make J.J. mow with the push mower because he knows that he'll get out of control and he'll knock the pool over. But how many of us remember going down a hill, walking down a hill, and you feel that force almost pulling you? And all of a sudden, you're leaning in, and, and your body gets ahead of your feet, and you start a roll. And you know you're headed for the bottom, and you know that whatever's at the bottom, you're going to hit. You can't avoid it. Emma's been taking me on a walk every day this last week, mile and a half. And out by us, we're on such a steep hill, and we were walking down that hill yesterday, and she said, boy, Daddy, I hate walking down these hills. You'd think it'd be the opposite. But you feel such a loss of control. Listen to the words coming out of the mouth of this man in verse 10. Go back and look at them. These demons know that Jesus is the answer. They know that Jesus can overtake them, that he's more powerful, yet they beg to stay. Please don't send us out. Jesus, don't do this to us. What choices have you made that you are making that have you on that downhill path that are battling within you to stay? To stay. You know, it's taking you to the bottom, and you aren't sure you can stop the fall. Verse 11, a large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd of about 2,000 in number rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Now, again, why this sobering exhibition? More importantly, why this waste of good bacon, pork chops? I mean, why? Can you, can you imagine the farmer? Can you imagine the owner of these pigs saying, what in the world? Which actually he did. He was very disturbed. And, and you know, this is just a sidebar. But the Bible mentions nothing about that man's concern for the man who had been indwelt by these demons. Concerned about pigs? But why? Why not just heal the man? Jesus had done that before. A man had been lowered down in front of Jesus. Jesus said what? Take up your mat and walk. Why, why didn't he just say to this guy, you are free? He had the power to do that. Why this demonstration? Why these 2,000 pork chops going to waste down in the water? Because God wants us to see that when we 
begin with one thing trying to numb us. When we fail to recognize how important being sober-minded is, and we open up our mind to these other things, that they will take you, they will take you all the way down until they destroy you. It couldn't be more clear. Now, if this weren't lesson enough, I want us to realize that there's always a lesson behind every encounter Jesus has with people like this man living in the tomb. Sometimes the lesson is right before it, sometimes the lesson's after it. This week, I want to point you to the lesson before endearing. So look at chapter 4 with me. In chapter 4, verse 37, Jesus had loaded his disciples into a boat to cross the lake, just like he always doing. But in Mark chapter 4, verse 37, it says, A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And you say, hold on, David. You've already talked about Peter walking on water just a couple months ago. You're repeating sermons already? No. This was another instance. The boat was about to be taken over by the waves. It says, Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. I love the detail. He had a cushion. Sleeping on a cushion, the disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Another sidebar. And that is, isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting how those who are not at peace in their life always seem to want to bring unrest to your life? I can see some parents right now saying, You are so right. I've got parents who aren't able or they say they can't come to worship anymore at the gathering. Why? Because they have an adult child at home who if they leave for more than five minutes they know is going to turn back to the drug of choice. I know many of you raising your grandchildren because your children have given their lives over to anything, to anyone other than than God. Just bail me out. I'm really struggling. I really mean it this time. The disciples don't hesitate to bring Jesus into their unrest, but the point is in verse 39, Jesus got up, he rebuked the wind, he said to the waves, quiet, be still, and it says the wind died down and it was completely calm. So here's the first of two lessons from this. First lesson is this, if it isn't obvious, and that is even the waves and the wind listen to Jesus' command. Even the waves and the wind trust him, and even the waves and the wind, they obey him. So why don't we? When it comes to his commands and his precepts for our lives, why don't we? Why don't we trust him? Why don't we trust him with our desires? Why don't we trust him? with our need for peace. Why do we always have to look someplace else? He speaks, they stop. When God says be sober-minded, don't cloud your judgment with excessive alcohol or other drugs or pornography or sexual gratification outside of marriage between one man and one woman. When God says be still and know that I'm God, it doesn't get any clearer. The psalmist wrote, God's our refuge and our strength, our ever-present help in times of trouble. And he goes on to talk about how life can seem so upside down and how the the seas surge as if they're going to overcome us and how the mountains even seem to be 
<coughs> excuse me, falling into the sea. <laughs> and instead of being still, we fall off the cliff with the mountains. The point is, even the demons did what Jesus commanded. He commanded that they come out of the man. So why don't we take him at his word? And here's the lesson. And that is because we continue to reject the truth that only God offers us the lasting solution to the unrest in our soul. But it's more than that. It's up to us to know him and align our lives with what he commands. See, it's one thing to say you know him, and it's another to know him. Notice how peacefully Jesus rested while the storm was raging around him. It wasn't just the cushion. How could Jesus sleep? Why was he at peace? Because he was sober-minded. He was not distracted by anything. He hadn't tried to numb himself from the world around him. Nothing clouded, nothing distracted, nothing numbed his view. He trusted. He let God provide for his every need. He was living in the will of God as a man, the same will that's known by us. And so he was able to rest, even though the world was crazy around him. Don't you wish that you could do that without a drug? Notice how peacefully. But I also want you to notice something else very important. Did you notice that Jesus, after he calmed the storm and after he calmed the waves, verse 41 of chapter 4 says the disciples were not just afraid, but they are now terrified. I mean, he calmed the storm. Why would they be so terrified? Well, verse 41 reveals why. They were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, I'm sure you've seen it on bumper stickers and church signs before. It's one of the reasons why we don't have the old marquee that we used to. Sometimes people would stop by, I don't know, the sign ferry and put something stupid out there. Like, no peace, you've seen it. N-O peace, N-O God. You're thinking, boy, this is blasphemy. You're coming after this one. Yes, it is. No, it's not. I'm going to tell you how foolish this is. No God, no peace. And then it says, no God. First of all, I didn't know that there were two ways to spell no. So I guess the sign was good for something. It's cute, but it's not accurate. There are many in this room, and there are many watching online today or will watch, that know God but don't know peace. Just as there are those who say no to God and live in what seems like a peaceful existence. You see, the difference is the distinction is that trusting God enough to align your life with what he says. What did Jesus say? If you love me, you'll obey what, you command, what I command of you, right? If you really want to know God, no matter how many years you've been in church, you've got to start applying his principles, his precepts. You've got to start being obedient to his commands. Jesus said, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, but I'll say, depart from you, you wicked person. I never knew you. But to those who trust him enough to align their life with him, he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. 
enter my peace, enter my rest. Remember, just like us, the disciples, they were watching, they were learning, and I would say daily, they were feeling the challenge to lean in. And on this day, they realized that as much time as they had spent in knowing Jesus, they really truly didn't know him, and it scared the pants off of them. Here's the second observation. These things are simple, <laughs> I know. Jesus was right there with them in the middle of their storm, yet they felt very much alone. Where do you come up with that at? Verse 38, the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care? Bible scholars aren't for sure. I, I love it when Bible scholars say they're not sure. It, it makes me chuckle because they're always so sure. But Bible scholars aren't sure what brought the man of the tombs out of the tombs to the shore that day. Verse 2 simply says, he came to meet Jesus. But I, I, your humble little preacher here in southern Indiana, I believe that there are two reasons, two things that brought him to the shore. First, first, I think the man gathered up enough strength to despite his terrible condition to throw himself at the feet of the only one who could help him. Why do I believe that? Because I've seen it. I've seen it. I remember the day that I threw myself down on the floor in my grief and said, I, I need you. <laughs> Either take my life or let me go. The second holds just as much water, and that is that the demons inside of him threw him at the feet of Jesus. But why would the demons do this? Because even the demons recognize the power and presence of God, and they know they are no match. Even the demons begged for mercy. Don't send us out of the area. But you know, the bottom line is this. Whether one is true or the other, or a combination of both, the bottom line is that the man and the demons found themselves at the feet of Jesus. How? Because Jesus came to them. Because Jesus came to them. Jesus journeyed across the lake to the place of the tombs to see the man of the tombs and to offer him peace. Just as Jesus Christ has journeyed from the throne room of heaven, he's crossed the biggest of seas in order to offer you a different way, a simpler way. Before journeying himself to his own tomb, to his own death, Jesus said to those who would be his followers, he said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. Know me. You've heard me say that no me's my, my part. If you've heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back to you, if you love me, you'd be glad that I'm doing this for the Father's greater than I. And here, here's the explanation. He said, I've told you this before it happens so that when it does, you'll believe. How many of us have been told, do this? Trust me with this. 
save yourself before marriage. G give me the very first. Be sober-minded. Keep your head in all situations. The fruit of my spirit is self-control. How many of us have been told this, but yet we've not engaged it? We've not employed it. We've not aligned with it. We've not lived with it. You see, lasting peace is ours the moment we truly believe what God says is best for our life and we choose to live by his word alone. It's accepting the reality that when Jesus went to Calvary and rose on the third day, he proved himself not only true to his word, the forgiveness of sins and eternal life, but he proved to us that everything that he says, everything that he commands of us, we can take it to the bank because he's capable. All week, friends, I put myself on that seashore where the man of the tomb stood with Jesus. Every song that we've played this weekend, I have played, if I've played them once, I've played them 40 times this week. In the shower, in the car, in the barn, as I've rehearsed and as I've thought through this message. And I'm so passionate about it today because I believe I believe that there are so many in this room, let alone online, but there are so many in this room who find themselves someplace that they never dreamed that they would be, as a parent, grandparent, as a person, as a friend, as a child, student. And I want you to know that whatever it is that has brought you to this moment today whatever it is whether you bottomed out on whatever it is that you've been trying to numb your feelings with over and over again whether you recognize that your relationship choices the choices that you've made on your own have not brought you fulfillment but they brought you more complication the way that you deal with family the way that you deal with whatever it is that's brought you to this seashore today I want you to know, I beg you to see that Jesus Christ has come for you. He came for you, and he's here now. And his commands and his precepts for your life, covered by his grace and his love for you, are enough. If only you're willing to lay yourself and whatever it is that has so complicated you at his feet, he will pick you up and he will restore sanity. He will restore life. He will take what has been stolen from you and he will return it. And the amazing thing is, is he'll even use it. <laughs> the man that day in his right mind, he went back into town and the first place that he went was home. And he says, I'm, I'm me again. I'm whole. I want nothing more than that for you. It's what Jesus wants for your life. Will you come and will you accept him? Let's stand together and let's pray. Father.
Thank you for this man. I am so sorry that he had to experience what he did, just as I am sorry that so many within the sound of, of this voice that you've given this church have experienced in their life outside of you. Father, for those that have come to you some time ago in their life who know you but just, but just didn't realize that without sincerely applying to their life your precepts and commands that, that, Father, we still are influenced, that we are still overtaken by these, these choices we make to complicate our lives. Lord, Lord, we know that you hold the key. We know that you can break them. We know, Father, that you can restore us, that you can simplify what we've made so complicated. So may we re-surrender May we surrender anew to you. May you not just be our champion, but may you champion us and lead us to the life that you have for us here and eternal. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to come, I'll meet you right here.